Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Matthias Holwich, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Hello. I'm excited to have you here. I think this is going to be a great conversation. This is an important topic that we're going to talk about that a lot of people have questions about. A lot of people are sort of speculating on, on what will happen here post-corona. Um, so we're going to have a little chat about that. Let me introduce you to our listeners uh, for anybody who may not know who you are. Uh, Matthias Hallwich is an architect leading the global architectural firm HWKN. Founded in 2008 and based in New York City, HWKN partners with cities, developers, and entrepreneurial clients to maximize the impact and value of their development assets. The firm's diverse portfolio includes buildings and neighborhoods alike from retail spaces and pop-up installations to residential and commercial schemes in the United States, the Middle East, and throughout Europe. Matthias previously worked at OMA and the Bauhaus DeSalle Foundation and was honored in Fast Company Magazine's ranking of the world's top 10 most innovative architects. My favorite magazine. I love when people are featured in, in, in Fast Company. It's one of my bucket lists goals is to be featured in, in Fast Company. So I'm excited to, to see that. Um, he's also the co-author of Um Bauhaus, Updating Modernism in Collaboration with Rainer Weisbach uh, and the Bauhaus Foundation. Uh, Matthias's latest book, New Aging, 
Live Smarter Now to Live Better Forever, suggests a new way to think about aging that fundamentally changes the way that we design for it. Um, today, I, we're going to have a, a conversation about uh, life and work, um, specifically at this moment in time where we're coming out of the coronavirus crisis. Things are starting to sort of find a, 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 a settling point, right? I'm, it's not really the new normal. It's never going back to the way it was. It's going to be something different. Um, but we're at that moment where that change is happening. And so I'd love to have that uh, conversation with you, Matthias. Um, before we do that, though, I want to know more about you. I want to learn um, where did you discover your passion for architecture and, and who or what uh, inspired you to become an architect? Yeah, awesome. Awesome question. And uh, sometimes it's great to reflect back. And I still remember um, earlier on in my youth, uh, I was, as a German, very fascinated by cars. And uh, I loved actually car design. And uh, I asked around and uh, wanted to meet people who do that. And then somebody told me, it's like, hey, when you're a car designer, most likely you're going to just design a wheel for like five years. And that's all you do. And then maybe you do like a little switch. And that's this all takes all of your time if you really want to design something that has impact and longevity why don't you look into architecture and that was a really crucial moment uh, because as soon as i did that i realized we are all surrounded by architecture and 95 percent of our lives we are embedded in architecture in one way or another now do i like what i see not really can i do something better maybe um, so that was basically my challenge. And that's how I signed up for architectural school. Actually, not really knowing much about it. I just knew that um, there's something really important uh, that is being done uh, for society. Do you, do you remember who that was who, who sort of made that suggestion that uh, architecture may be a better route for you? I tried to figure this out. It was in kind of friendship groups, but yeah. I also, I was like in, in kind of groups with different ages. So I know it was somebody who had a little bit more knowledge than just my peers. Yeah. Um, but uh, I cannot point down that person anymore. I would say thank you to that person yeah. if I find it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, so you made that decision. How did you get to, the, to become an architect? What, what was the process for you? Yeah, so lucky me, uh, as a German, uh, and if your grades are adequate, uh, you get access to universities. Um, so where you don't actually apply, if uh, your grades are right, you, you get into it. So I got into one, which was actually not a glamorous one, it was very technical, uh, low bar uh, in Munich. And um, my first lesson was actually a professor who says, um, anything uh, that is important is math and uh, structural engineering, and you should focus on this. So nothing poetic, nothing inspirational. And was like, oh, okay, cool, let's go. Um, and uh, in very early times, I realized that um, it was very limiting. Uh, but uh, I believe I was also very limited uh, because um, I did not really have, let's say, creative upbringing. Um, I think there was curiosity in my family, um, but uh, it was never geared towards inventing something new. Uh, but I was uh, there very lucky, actually Heike Bittner, a professor, she joined that university and uh, she was like fresh blood in a more uh, conservative kind of environment. 
And uh, she came from Berlin and I was studying in Munich. And then she actually organized a summer school in Venice. And uh, everyone signed up and everyone was excited, was like, oh, I have to do this also. I want to be in Venice. And I applied and she said no. And I was like, oh, my God, why not? And so <laughs> I met her and uh, during the interview and she said, like, look, Matthias, I don't think that you're thinking openly enough. This is a very, very creative workshop. Uh, and I was like, no, no, let me go, let me go. Uh, and then uh, she said, like, okay, I'll let you go under one condition you do not work, give up. And I was like, deal, I'm not going to give up. So I go to Venice with all of my peers, with like 30 people, three weeks. Uh, first visiting professor um, was uh, Enrique Morales, uh, the amazing architect out of Spain. And um, uh, mind-blowing, uh, but as much mind-blowing that I was totally lost. We had to design a transient space in Venice. I not even knew what that word meant uh, as a German. Uh, it was all run in English. Uh, then the second one was uh, Van Berg, was his name, like some architect out of the Netherlands. And then in the third week, everyone gave up because it was beautiful weather. They went out to Lido, <laughs> except me. And I was still there. And the last visitor was Ricardo Scafidio. And that was a time in the 90s, right, where that was a very tiny little firm in New York. And I was sitting with Ricardo Scafidio for one week day and night on models and working and it became my private tutor. And uh, then um, when he left, uh, I just asked him if I can apply for a internship. Uh, and he asked me for the number and so on. But he said like, look, we're such a small shop. We're probably not gonna have space for you, but uh, please just send something. And then three weeks later on my answering machine in Munich was his voice, which basically said, hello. This is Ricardo Scofidio. If you still <laughs> want to work for us, be here on Monday. I packed my things, moved to New York, and here I am. <laughs> wow, what a story! Fantastic. It it uh, and and so so you worked there. And how long did you work there? Yeah, so it was an internship. So I think it was like six months. Um, then I had to go back to Germany to finish my study. Uh, fun fact: then nobody understood me anymore because now I was on a whole different level uh, in terms of uh, kind of Cooper Union thinking, creative mm -hmm. uh, explorations, poetic uh, ideas in architecture, right? The Germans like, no, no, needs to be straight, no, no, can be a little bit different. And then um, I graduated and my, my grades were like mediocre because again, my design kind of didn't resonate with them anymore. And then you used my, um, my final work and applied and I got a job with Peter Eisenman. So I went back to New York, uh, worked for Peter uh, in 1995, I believe, uh, for one year. It was a first position unpaid because also architecture at that time was in New York really in crisis. Uh, it was the 90s. Nobody had work. Yeah. So we did a lot of uh, just competitions. Uh, one of them was for the church in the year 2000 for the Vatican. It's a really, really interesting work, but uh, obviously no money. And uh, when my money ran out, uh, I had to move on. And uh, there was another fun situation because during that time, Peter Eisenman was very embedded in this conversation between the plastic means and structural infrastructure and kind of REM and Herzogamor were always in his kind of level of critique. And then uh, I was like, hey, Peter, um, I have to move on. And was like, oh, yeah, I understand. So where are you going? It's like, well, I'm applying actually at REM's office. And then he's like, what? <laughs> REM? Don't believe it. Do you have already your job? I was like, no, not yet. All right. Well, 
Hold on. Hey, Rem. You know, this is Peter. There's a young architect coming your way. His name is Matthias Holwig. He's German. He's awesome. Hire him. All right. Click. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Rotterdam and uh, Rem hired me on the spot. So wow. and then I worked for OMA for three years. And uh, but three years of OMA means like 10 years in uh, real life um, because we work day and night, every day, every weekend uh, during that time. Uh, but it was, I am. Um, of course, from my perspective, the most amazing time because uh, Bianca Ingels was there, Joshua Ramos, Dan Wood, uh, Men Chow, Ole Sharon, all of these people, we were all there, kids working day and night, becoming friends um, and sometimes competing, but most of the time actually working with each other. And um, oh yeah, um, um, Fernando Romero was also there. Uh, so it was a really like the baby rams uh, kind of emerged from this experience out there. Yeah. So so what happened after that? Where where did you go from there? How long were you there? So I was there three years uh, on on the day, uh, and then I knew that I will not survive to be there longer because uh, it it was super intense. But then I moved to uh, Hong Kong. I helped um, actually on May just had started a. Um, office in Hong Kong uh, to be the first designer from Rotterdam uh, helping Ome Asia uh, to basically communicate the design philosophy over there. That was with Aaron Tan at that time. And then I got a teaching position at the uh, at ETH in Zurich. Um, so after one year in Hong Kong, went to Zurich and uh, parallel by, from teaching, I started my first kind of startup firm. Uh, I did try to avoid to start right away an architecture firm. So it was actually called ETEC Electronic Architecture Studio. Uh, so we were much too early, but we tried to do co-design on um, private family homes on the internet. Uh, we got a grant from uh, the Center for Art and Media Technology in Germany. And I worked on that actually for quite some time. Um, and then uh, I also worked on concept engineering. Uh, we uh, wanted to create art lounges for the Guggenheim. Uh, and then Rem hired me again parallel uh, for another project in New York uh, that was for the Brooklyn Academy of Music and Dance. So I was basically, I was teaching. I have two, one new company and some other architectural gigs. And then I was like ready to move uh, back to New York because this was always a place I love and everything was set up for it. And then September 11th happened. And uh, my flight to New York was canceled because I had a flight on the 14th of September. And all projects, everything that I tried to do kind of vanished, poof. And um, then uh, I just rebooted. Uh, I went actually to Amsterdam uh, and uh, I had a relationship there at that time. And then I started something which I call concept engineering. So I consulted uh, Robinson Resorts, which is like the Club Met of Germany and new experiences uh, and uh, the competitions and all kinds of things. Uh, then I still helped also at all my Asia. I flew to Asia from time to time. Um, so I was always on the move, uh, doing things, also teaching at the uh, Bauhaus Foundation. And then after three or four years, I got the call from the University of Pennsylvania uh, if I would like to teach. Same situation again, if you want to be here in three weeks. <laughs> so I just packed my things. Uh, the relationship ended uh, already at that time. So I started to teach at Penn. Uh, and that's uh, how I really started to live then in America. Mm -hmm. And then what brought you back to New York City? Um, yeah, so basically uh, teaching at Penn, I basically moved to New York and was just commuting to Penn. 
And then at that time, I had met my former business partner, uh, Mark, and uh, we basically had a professional shotgun wedding because uh, we did one competition together. We really liked working together. Uh, we had so much fun and the, the result, we didn't win the competition, but for us, it was epic. And uh, yeah, we just said, why not? And uh, we started with little renovations of apartments in New York and then slowly got some pop-ups going. And uh, that was the beginning of uh, HWKN. Fantastic. What a story. It's it's interesting to hear the the story from the beginning, right? And to hear uh, at the beginning, you sort of struggled a little bit, it sounded like, and you weren't sure. And, and do you remember the moment where it all sort of started to click, right? Because it, it, you had so many fascinating experiences with so many famous architects and doing famous work and doing, you know, going to different places in the world. Um, do you remember sort of the time in your life where it went from, I'm not so sure this is right, or I'm sort of struggling with this to, this is it, this is what I need to do, this is my purpose, this is this is my future. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, I mean, it is really amazing. Uh, I mean, I have probably somewhere in some storage closet still sheets about diagrams, about where's the best place to live and work and do and so on. And yeah. uh, is it like Frankfurt or Berlin or London or New York and so on. So I try to analyze everything kind of uh, logically. Uh, and that never led to anything uh, because you can always make a case for something else. Um, but then it really happened at the mo moment uh, when I had this competition with Mark and he said, uh, and I think, yeah, I, I should give him credit for it because he was like, look, your talent is just amazing. Your problem is that nobody knows where you are. Sit down, commit to one city and be in New York and be an architect. And that was, I think, the crucial advice um, because architecture, you think it is so fluid. You can do it from everywhere, but people somehow need to associate you with a location and it doesn't matter where it is. Um, to a certain degree, I, I may have some advice for people uh, that there is actually a magic to a location, um, but uh, at least to sit down, to establish yourself as we are a New York architecture firm, this is the work we do. And that was the moment where then suddenly everything kind of started to uh, come together as a puzzle piece. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, Mark is an inspiring guy. I've, I've had several conversations with him as well. The, the, um, the, the, um, coronavirus, right? Changed, changed everything. And so we're working through this. You've started this firm, you've become successful doing large projects. Um, for you, when, when Corona started in early 2020, when it started, you know, where, where it became, uh, known that this was going to be a problem, um, and the world shut down in that April of 2020, how did you adjust to that, you know, with your firm? What was what was your experience through that process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, maybe one additional element, which is important. Um, so there was a separation for Mark, uh, which was basically like a year before that happened. And um, so there was a whole process about reinventing, uh, kind of focusing. Um, and also, um, I actually made four of my most trusted um, uh, senior people partners. Uh, and um, then Corona hit and uh, our lucky moment was that we were uh, lean and mean. 
number one uh, because uh, yeah. we had the split with Mar Mark. It was 50-50 basically. Um, so we were a small firm again at that time. And uh, we were also super agile and uh, everyone had a multiple responsibilities. So it was not very hierarchical. So we were just one team. That means that actually my most senior people jumped onto drawings uh, and did whatever we needed to do at a moment where normally would say like, no, no, this is what I do. And why should I do something less right in a way? So it became kind of a very interesting experience on that way. And then um, we were also lucky, like two weeks before, um, one of my partners, uh, Jessica, she said like, Matthias, I think we need to prepare. So we just ordered laptops and thankfully we were still able to get them. Uh, before the lockdown and we yeah. were fully online like a week before um, but then of course the big challenges happened every one of our american projects just vanished from mm -hmm. one day to another one and outstanding bills people not paying everything and uh, uh, i was like this is the end uh, but we were diversified uh, we had a very strong standing in germany and germany picked up and uh, we were 70% American income, 30% Germany, and it switched to 90% Germany, 10% America. Wow. And uh, yeah, and this is, uh, and I know still like 10 years ago, I was already like, we need to diversify in terms of typologies, in terms of locations, because I can just not trust one market and one typology. And that was really uh, our lucky moment. And uh, we never had to let anyone go. Uh, we sailed through it uh, on a, on a, gray, uh, how you say, zero <laughs> uh, through uh, these kind of two years. Um, but then also what we did during this whole period is we invested into who we are, it means uh, innovation. Uh, we came up with a lot of new ideas uh, and we prepared them as really products. And uh, that actually got so much recognition so that now this is the foundation of our work and we're being hired left and right now for very, very ambitious projects that I believe without the Corona experience, we would have not achieved uh, that uh, easily in a way. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE, the makers of BQE Core, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant Douglas Teeger to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit and when you visit bqe.com masterclass, 
you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free, and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices to managing online payments to organizing expenses and automates them with features like the new digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours per week in the process, 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too. It's almost tax time. With a ton of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand the keys over to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks, try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. It's free. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect. Freshbooks.com slash architect. Get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with your 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered, and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, aka CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Artcat. Listen and subscribe right now at artcat.com slash podcast. That's artcat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. So what are your thoughts for the future? You know, moving from this moment, right? This moment of, of transition that I mentioned earlier when I introduced you that we're in this, this time in our age, right? We'll, in, in, in the future, they'll look back, right? And they'll, they'll look at this pandemic and they'll look at this moment in, in 2022 as the transition as the world grew out of this coronavirus crisis 
and it became whatever it's going to become. Um, how do you think that's going to shift the way we work and the way we live? Um, because it's going to be different, right? It's going to, it's not going to be the way it was before coronavirus. Yeah, so sometimes what I say is when we were in a crystal ball like three years ago, we saw that a lot of more remote work is happening over time. Uh, we saw that uh, retail is challenging, uh, challenged and uh, a lot of retail going to go out of business. Uh, we saw that our apartments are changing, uh, but we all thought about it. Oh, it's going to be in the year 2035. Right. And Corona just like boom, pushed Instant us change. into 2035. Absolutely, right. like way ahead. And now we have to catch up <laughs> basically with architecture, infrastructure, urbanism to get there where society is already. And uh, that Very is why this is, yeah, and this is why this is for me the most amazing and most liberating time in architecture because the rules are different. And now we can all be participants in the creation of the future. And uh, what I uh, say is basically, uh, there's a mix, number one, uh, we have to be very cautious about the products that we're creating in terms of office and uh, residential. Um, and there is on a certain degree, more flexibility and transformation that will happen. But then another one element, which is uh, very powerful is something that gives us stability again, which is actually the power of architecture, like high quality, and we call it unforgettable architecture. And uh, so there is basically a response towards um, the, the beauty and the amazingness of what architecture can be. And then in the inside, uh, the changes are multifold. And um, so for example, for an office environment, uh, we see that there are three big trends right now that's happening. Trend uh, number one is that uh, the employers and the employees have a new relationship. It used to be that uh, you, I call it the Siemens uh, generation uh, in a German perspective. You have one job, you have the job forever. Um, you basically retire after 30 years, 40 years in that uh, one job. In the last 20 years, it was already very different. People switched around every three to five years and they looked for purpose in their work. Uh, so that uh, they're satisfied with the work they do with the production, basically. And now the next generation is experiences that an employer has to offer experiences to the employee to make it worthwhile for them to join the firm. The experiences is on the one hand, the corporate culture, but also the experience of your career that you become a better person in your job. And that is not just a linear element anymore where you say like, oh, you're a designer, then you're manager, and then you're a super manager. It's like, no, maybe from the designer, maybe become a better designer, a broader designer, a different one, right? So there are many different ways where that experience can be curated and that becomes a core value that actually employers have to offer the, to their employees. The second big mega trend is hub and spoke. Right, so that uh, basically the border between home and office is uh, diluted. And now we can work sometimes from home or co-working space or maybe on a cruise, right? Who's, who says you cannot work from a cruise as long as you have Wi-Fi, as long as you're productive. So there's an incredible freedom about the location, but there's still something where people come back to the hub, which is the corporate culture and the social experience. And then the third one is basically hot hoteling. 
where you say that uh, the services that are coming into an office environment that helps you to manage your day, uh, the meeting rooms, your workspace, maybe also the food and so on. So uh, there's a whole other level of services that are coming in. Now, in our case, when we say we're combining experience with hub and spoke and with hoteling, we can create something new, which we call resorting. Now, what we are creating in uh, London right now, we're creating the first work resort. And as soon you hear it and you think about it, it's like, oh my God, this is a no-brainer because now we can create basically buildings that are exotic in nature. There are people want to be there. It becomes an aspirational place to be there. But you don't need to be there anymore all your time. You go there for a purpose, which is the same thing at a resort. You go there to relax, to meet new people, to maybe learn surfing or something like this. So you go to your office building uh, with the purpose of experiencing the corporate culture, uh, to meet people, to do business, to grow your career. But the day-to-day -day business, do it wherever, right? Uh, and that changes entirely uh, the relationship uh, on, on a building like this and also changes totally the DNA, how we actually design a building. Um, and that's just the, the, the first level of innovation that we see, for example, in a work environment that we can implement. Yeah, fascinating. It's interesting what you said earlier uh, about how our society has instantly shifted into the future, 35 years. Um, and now we're catching up our, our our structures and our and the way we live and the way we work needs to catch up with that. Probably the first time in history that that's ever happened, and it happened because of the technology allowed that to happen. That when that crisis hit, the technology was there to allow us to adapt and accommodate those situations that would have otherwise taken decades to get get you know established. Happened in weeks because out of necessity, uh, and so now we are in that process of catching up, and and so. It's interesting to to listen to you, to hear you, because in the past you would have considered you a futurist. You would have said, mm -hmm. oh, you're just talking about what mm -hmm. could happen in the future. But in fact, mm -hmm. it's happening now. You're doing it now because you have to catch up to the way that we are currently living. Uh, that's a fascinating idea. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, for architects, it's finally really empowering, right? Because uh, for years, we became more and more service providers, right? And uh, you do the drawings, you make the building looking good. But uh, now we're going deep into the DNA of organizations, of um, buildings, on operational questions. Um, and uh, like not everyone is equipped to do that. Uh, but I think uh, it's, it's good now to also really diversify uh, the staff right? to bring in people with different knowledge, with different skills, uh, because it's such a broad, big challenge right now. And uh, clients are hungry to get knowledge, right? And uh, right now, if somebody exactly says, oh, this is how the future is or will be, that person is wrong, right? Because there's still too many things in flux, but yeah. together we can actually shape it and create it. And uh, now we just have to make sure that we shape it into the right direction right, um, with good values towards also the people, right, the employees, not just uh, the corporation. And, uh, but that is a kind of re-leveling that's happening uh, where we can all be part of. Yeah, interesting. They're looking at architects as problem solvers, as bigger 
uh, solution providers rather than just building designers. Um, how are you positioning HWKN to to um, differentiate yourself from an architecture firm, right? That that people have in their mind what an architecture firm is and what architects do, but what you just described is much bigger than that. So how are you positioning your firm to share that story with your potential clients? Yeah, so we basically say we're a boutique innovation firm uh, out of New York, where we work always in collaboration also with uh, local partners. Um, so that makes us actually as a lean and mean office, like three times bigger, because we work with Adams and Associates, Gensler and CLMAP, all of these different firms. And then uh, we have three key scopes. The first one is, we call it opportunity mapping. You can give us a site or you give us an idea and we can help you to define what that product, that building could be. They can be very banal like zoning envelopes, but then from there we can go into efficiencies, into program elements, into vision building. And actually now we're getting higher to do that actually left and right. Uh, we just got three big master plans out of this opportunity mapping in Germany, uh, which I would have never expected to actually do on that kind of scale. Uh, then the second one is new topologies and products. Uh, also something what I think architects normally have not done. Um, so we had a little bit a precursor to this with WeWork, we created WeLive, uh, the second generation. So we went into very deep uh, research and development we're doing that right now for a new office brand, which is called Spirit in Germany, which actually taps into prefabricated office buildings that we are enriching with new work environments and also much more emotional design. Uh, we're creating our own residential brand right now, which is called FlexLive, uh, where we're putting all kind of knowledge that we generated from all these different uh, brands we worked with into a whole novel intergenerational living uh, environment. We're creating something is called Eco Parks, uh, which are highly sustainable prefabricated uh, warehouses uh, in Germany that can be converted into uh, lively um, neighborhoods um, uh, as soon a place has established itself. And then the third one is we create unforgettable buildings. Um, that means um, you're not gonna get anything boring from us. Don't hire us if you just wanna have a box with a nice facade. Uh, and the unforgettability is also based on some research that we have made, uh, what really triggers memories for people. And uh, the shortcut basically is the three elements that need to come together, contextual materials, emotional elements, and novel uh, features. Uh, and that always combined also creates buildings where then our client knows when I hire HR Ken, I'm going to get a building that people are going to remember. Uh, it goes through the press, people emotionally connect to it, and it's going to create a better positioning in the market, uh, but without breaking the bank, because we're also super rational about always analyzing which elements are standard and we need and can keep standard and which elements are unique and special. And that's what we're focusing on. It's, uh, it's inspiring to hear you talk about what you've done with your firm. And I'm hoping that you're inspiring our listeners, because I think that architects generally have this idea of what architects should be. And I think we're in this moment um, in time that we have this opportunity, this tremendous opportunity to be the leaders of this transition into this new way of living and working. Um, and that requires us to think bigger than what we have traditionally as architects. 
um, the the fact that you described your firm, um, it wasn't an architecture firm. What did you just What did you just say that your firm? How you present your firm? Yeah, we're saying. I mean, we still refer to it as an architecture firm, but yeah. we say it's a boutique innovation firm. Mm. Right, a boutique innovation yeah. firm. Right, and so so yeah. it, you're you're redefining uh, what architects do and what architects you know, can can be. Um, when you describe the future of work and living, uh, the trend that you're describing is is flexibility, right? Everybody is going to work wherever they want to work, and they're going to work how they want to work, and they want, they're going to um, uh, pursue their their purpose and their uh, they want to live the lifestyle they want to live, and that that has flipped from the way it was traditionally where the other way was you work and then you live at the level that you work. And now it's flipped the other way where we are prioritizing our lives and the way we want to live with our families and our locations. Um, and we're finding work to accommodate that. And so, so that mentality has shifted. And I think that that is a, that is a totally different way of thinking about the way uh, the world works. And architects can lead that, uh, the, can be the leaders in that transition to that new way of, of, uh, of living and working. Yeah, and um, I mean, we have right now the opportunity for this project in London um, to go all out uh, and uh, really help our client to understand what that future might be. And what I'm doing right now is a interview session with CEOs uh, that uh, are from future unicorns, so highly innovative, but already round A, round B kind of funded um, yep. uh, people. And one of them, Andrea, uh, he started a financial um, institute in, um, in the UK. He just got his uh, banking license a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, I asked him, so if you would move into this building, what would it need to have for your staff? And he was like, oh, fun fact, I talked to all of my staff members about what they like about remote work and what they don't like about coming to an office. And they said, it's not about efficiency, it's not about commute. They love to work close to their loved ones, their partners, their children, and their pets. And yeah. then he said, if I want to move in, if I move into this building, I want to make sure that actually the loved ones, the children, and the pets can be there too. It's like, Oh my God, now we're not designing anymore the building for the employees. We designed it for the employees and the families. Right. And that is so inspiring how you then actually think about it. It's like, yeah, why not when the partner comes and joins actually there? Maybe there's a co working area that's actually available uh, for, uh, for not the employees, actually, for uh, people, the friends, and the family. Uh, and uh, become so many different logics how you think about a building and the experiences. And it becomes just liberating uh, and eye-opening uh, when you suddenly see these opportunities, how we can think different about it. Yeah, the integration of work and, and living, uh, where they were at one time separate, and now they are becoming becoming the same thing. It's all one thing, right? That we're working and living, and, and our families and our firms and our businesses are all becoming just part of who you are and how you live. Um, it's very exciting to think about the potential of that uh, and and how society can evolve to be a very different place than it has been in the past. And uh, and you're leading the way in terms of, uh, of, of leading the profession to show how uh, architects can, can uh, 
be, become that leader, right? That I think today with, with what you've said, uh, it gives a lot of architects permission to uh, think differently. And I think a, a, a lot of architects need to hear that, that we, we and, and we're not giving up the way we've done it, right? We're not giving up designing buildings. We're just accepting the leadership role of being able to uh, influence and impact the world in a bigger way. Um, and so I appreciate you, Matthias, for coming by and, and sharing that inspiration and that, and that story. Uh, I think that you uh, will have impact in, in many, many listeners' lives when they hear what, you, what you're sharing here today. Um, before we wrap things up today, I want to um, ask you the one question that I ask everybody. This, this podcast is uh, focused mostly on uh, small firm entrepreneur architects. So architects that are running their own businesses, doing their own things. Um, and what I'd love to ask every guest is, what would you say is one thing that a small firm architect can do today, right now, to build a better business for tomorrow? Um, so the first recommendation is collect every email and every contact you ever had in your life <laughs> and uh, put it into a CRM that you can engage with people because you never know where the next client comes from. I had the biggest surprises where it's like, oh my God, that's a person 20 years ago I met somewhere. And I don't know why I met this person, but that person got the newsletter. And at some point was like, hey, by the way, can I connect you here and here? Right? So create these relationships uh, because when you're a small firm, even more important, you need a big network and get advisors involved. Uh, really never think that you know everything. I have a board of advisors. I check in with them from time to time. I tell them about the business, about the challenges, about the opportunities. They connect me to other people. They connect me to ideas. And then, um, yeah, and then I think uh, the crucial moments uh, for like for the firm, uh, for HWKN was early on, for example, that uh, I had this idea about ecological icons, right? Uh, how can we design buildings better? And uh, somebody told me, just put this idea onto the website. It was called the Club of Pioneers. So I'm like, what the hell is this? So I do it <laughs> and I say like, hey, you have to write about iconic design. And the editor contacted me. Turned out that it was actually a website from BMW sponsored as a marketing gig. <laughs> and the editor was actually a marketing person, um, uh, Alex Steele. Uh, but then he was like, oh, I love what you're doing. This is a great idea. Um, can we pitch an um, event space for Mini Cooper on a roof in New York? And we're like, sure. And then we was like, can you find a roof in New York? Sure. What did I know? It's like I had no idea. I was, I was on 110 roofs in New York analyzing where you can be. You can barely be on any roof in New York. It was like the total waste of time. But I found one, and it happened, and it made all the difference, right? And grabbing on these opportunities uh, that first are nimble, they're small, but then making them bigger, excite people about it, and put it into a framework that is meaningful for everyone. And it came all out of this kind of iconic design, uh, having a fun design, putting all the sweat into it to find that kind of place. And then that event space, right, um, uh, put beautiful pictures into the press. We suddenly were like the talk of the town for like a day, but that brought us a little bit closer to the Museum of Modern Art PS1 invitation for young architects. That brought us a little bit closer that somebody gave us the first commission to design a facade of a building. Right? And these are these kind of steps. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I would always say, 
grab whatever you can around you. Uh, make sure that you financially survive. Uh, it's challenging, right? Sometimes we just go a little bit off uh, track with this. Uh, but um, nothing is uh, nothing is kind of too small, uh, or nothing is kind of I don't know um, that. The, the attention towards opportunities. I think that is something really important to be trained on uh, and, and then just grab them and run with them. His name is Matthias Holwich. The firm's name is HWKN. You can learn more about them at HWKN.com. Go check it out. Some really interesting work at HWKN.com. Matthias, thank you very, very much for coming by, sharing your inspirational story. Uh, and and uh, thinking a little bit about the future and where we're headed and uh, and how architects can lead that. I appreciate you for all the work that you do and for uh, being here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. That was super inspiring. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for this platform. You're welcome. I appreciate it. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting, and I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris 
owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.